The reading today is from Luke chapter 11, verse 29 to 36. Luke chapter 11, 29 to 36. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden. Or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it, then, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, If your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Please keep your Bibles open. Thank you very much, Rona. And uh, we're going to ask the children uh, to head off behind the screen uh, because they've got some exciting things to uh, learn and make and do. And just to say that uh, when uh, we've uh, had a look at the same passage that I'm going to be looking at, then what will happen is we'll get a chance to ask questions, say anything you want. Okay? Open microphone time. If we had a microphone, you can say what you like afterwards. It's nice having a small group uh, and uh, doing that. Okay, if you head off, uh, Ruthie, uh, we'll get on. Good. Well, the big question is, do you reckon you've got an open mind? You know how open minds work? Uh, What happens if you've got an open mind? You stick some truth in at the top, a bit of evidence, and it kind of spirals through the system, through the thinking, and you end up with a belief or a conviction. You can make a decision. And we like to think that that's how open minds work. And we therefore, when our friends say, look, I'd love to have the faith that you have. I don't know if you've had anyone say that to you. But we then think, well, that's easy. We'll just stick in a bit more evidence at the top, and then it'll spiral down, and they'll become believers. That's how it works. Except Jesus doesn't say it works like that. Because a group of people go to Jesus in verse 29, you can see them, and essentially their message is, look, Jesus, impress us, would you? Uh, Give us another sign. 
And Jesus says that's the wrong thing to say. Actually, he uses stronger language. He says that's a wicked thing to say. Now, when you're talking about uh, something wicked, normally you're not just talking about something that is being done. You're normally talking about something that is going on in the heart. That's where we're wicked. And what is wicked is how we approach God. If we do that with pride. See what's going on here? The premise is, look, I've got my measuring tape. God, I'll see if you measure up to the kind of God I'm going to be impressed by. And then maybe I'll believe in you. Whereas the humble approach is to say, hey, it's not about you impressing me, God. It's actually the fact that I don't impress you. And so what we often think of as an open mind is actually wicked because there's a proud heart that says, hey, I need to be impressed by God rather than actually the big problem is I'm not that impressive to him. See the difference? I met a guy last uh, uh, week, bright as they come. Such a lovely bloke. I enjoyed spending an evening with him. But he had no time for Jesus because actually uh, he knew all about Jesus and that he didn't exist and that I didn't need to tell him anything more. Open mind, but a proud heart. And Jesus says, so if I want to convince a group like this, uh, the only sign I'm going to give is the sign of Jonah. I don't know if you've ever heard of a great guy called Jonah. Now, uh, Jonah was a man that God uh, told uh, to go to a place called Nineveh, which has been in the news recently. Uh, because uh, Nineveh is... Um, oh, uh, I haven't written it down here. Uh, what, what's the name uh, of uh, that uh, Iraqi city? Um, it's just gone out of my mind for the minute. Um, hmm? Gone out of your mind too. Um, oh, blow. Uh, Just that where, where, where ISIS have taken Mosul. Uh, Nineveh is Mosul today. It's where ISIS have taken over and done some pretty wicked things. And in those days, Nineveh did the same kind of stuff to people. And Jonah said, uh, well, effectively he turned God down and God sent Jonah down. And he was picked up by a fish, which I suppose we'd uh, uh, see today as kind of a, a submarine with scales, uh, who took him to uh, uh, Nineveh and uh, dropped him off. And he got to Nineveh and he said to Nineveh, in 40 days' time, God is going to destroy this city and everyone in Nineveh, from the greatest to the least, all repented. 
and God did not destroy the city. Okay, now you know the story of uh, Jonah. If you want to read the full version, well, it's hidden in the last 12 books of the Old Testament after Amos, and there's only four chapters. So, uh, uh, good bedtime reading tonight. Okay, the sign of Jonah, how will that help this group that has gone to see Jesus? Possibly one of two ways. So that in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew talks about the sign of Jonas being the sign of the resurrection. So Jonah was down for three days and then came back to life. And that showed uh, that God uh, was not uh, bluffing. And uh, when Jesus goes down for three days and comes up, it's worth listening to him. The resurrection could be a parallel. But the other sign, Luke doesn't talk about resurrection. What Luke is saying is the sign of Jonah could simply be that when you see a spokesman talking to unbelievers about God's judgment, that's the sign of an authentic prophet. And here is Jesus talking to an unbelieving generation in verse 29, and he's talking about judgment, and that's the mark of a Jonah. And so they ought to, rather than ask for a sign, what they'd much rather be doing is to say, how can I respond to this prophet? How can I respond to Jesus? And therefore, there are three things I want to say. One is to seek wisdom. Two is to repent. And three is to recognize there is stacks of light. Okay, point one, and that is to uh, see, yeah, sorry, you've seen that um, Jonah could be a sign because he was buried three days and he preached to unbelievers like Jesus. Okay, sign one, or lesson one, is seek wisdom. That little picture, which there's too much light in the room for you to see clearly, but it's the picture of the Queen of Sheba going to see King Solomon and being massively impressed because Solomon was such a wise king that absolutely everything around him was made of pure gold. He lived in a kingdom of pure gold. And the Queen of Sheba, which is what she's called in 1 Kings chapter 10, if you want to read the story there, the Queen of Sheba goes and says to Solomon, uh, I may be a ruler, and people might think me wise, but I want to be learning from your wisdom to be a king who serves, a ruler who serves in this way. And Jesus says there's someone greater than Solomon who is here in verse 31. Why is he greater? Well, if you look at Solomon's kingdom, you could tell God was glorious because there was shining gold. But if you look at what Jesus has done, yeah, it's not like there is shining gold everywhere, but what you have 
is a foretaste of heaven. You have the dead being raised. You have disease being removed and eradicated. You have the devil being cast out. You have a foretaste of heaven, much more than uh, a few bits of gold. And his instruction was brilliant. If you remember Psalm 19 about how his words are pure and precious and wise and tasty and, well, he taught like that all the time. And every single person in Israel was within reach. They didn't have to come all the way like uh, the Queen of Sheba did, all the way from the south. They had it there on their doorstep. The crowd had it there right in front of them. Now here we are in the Beckentry estate. Take tonight. Every single home on this estate is within a 15-minute walk of getting to the wisdom of Jesus. Now fancy being able to, or fancy trying to say that actually you couldn't uh, make it when the Queen of Sheba is going to be there standing next to you listening to what you've said. Now far better to say, look, I must be like the Queen of Sheba. That is going to be from now on my driving force in life. People might think that I'm wise. People thought that she was wise. But actually, I'm not going to see that wisdom is something I've got already. I'm going to see that wisdom is something that I need to get from the Lord Jesus. And I will go anywhere to find it. And I will come to the place where his wisdom might be found so I can be part of uh, uh, his wise audience, the way the Queen of Sheba was. So seek wisdom. The second thing is to repent. That's what happened in the time of Nineveh. The people from the greatest to the least essentially repented. They didn't blame other people for the wrong stuff that was going on. They didn't say, well, it's all the trouble of the government. They didn't say, it's all the problem uh, caused by the criminal uh, uh, community. They didn't say, it's all caused by gang culture. Now, all those different groups did repent, but so did the ordinary housewife, the working man, and they understood that uh, uh, Jesus, uh, they understood uh, that uh, repenting uh, was um, something they all had to do. They realized that it wasn't just the heavy duty criminals, but every single person has done enough to contribute to the wrong things that are going on in our world. So no finger point to anybody else. The greatest, the least, wanted to turn away from a life that was displeasing to God. That's what they did in Nineveh. They didn't say, give us another sign, Jonah. They said, the only thing we want to happen is for God to keep us safe when the 40 days are up.
And in the same way, our great desire is to see that the greatest thing that Jesus can do is not to produce another sign, but to keep us safe from that future when God's destruction is promised. And Jesus is greater than Jonah in his ability to do that because Jonah didn't just simply warn, Jesus actually went on and at this moment in time he's just about to go to the cross within 40 days. He was going to take all the judgment of God on himself. And the reason why Nineveh didn't get destroyed is because Jesus on the cross took what they were due. And in the same way, uh, uh, we uh, are uh, able to, uh, please don't worry, uh, that we are able to uh, take uh, our uh, understanding uh, of God's goodness to us, that Jesus is greater than Jonah because he carried the hit in our place. So he's someone greater than Jonah is here. Now fancy going up to God on the last day and saying, well, sorry God, but you know, life was very full. I lived in London. There was so much to think about. I couldn't really uh, uh, spend time to stop and to, to repent and to, to, to kind of think about things like that. I had other things on my mind. Nineveh was a big city. Do you think that when Jonah came to them, they didn't have other things in their mind, but they dropped everything? Because if God is going to destroy in the future, then we drop everything in order to respond to him. And we don't say, I'll wait until day 39. If God's destruction is coming, it's day one. And that's what uh, they did. Imagine saying that there were other things on my mind when the people in Nineveh were there to listen. You see, in both these cases, with the Queen of Sheba and with the people in Nineveh, what you've got are people who had less than we have, but doing more with it than we do. I can just imagine us in front of God on the last day, and uh, we have to... Uh, make our excuses, won't they seem empty in the light of uh, what people did with so much less than we've been given? So, be wise and repent. Immediately ditch sin. Because as uh, Jesus said at the end, in verses 32 to 36, there is so much light about. Look, no one's going to start up a, a light and then cover it up. And God's no different to anybody else. He's not going to put some light in the scene and then cover it up. Uh, God's light is everywhere, and Jesus is uh, 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 producing God's light has no shortage of uh, uh, light that is around. Uh, and in um, uh, the life of Jesus, day after day, 
the lights were going on. So to be an agnostic, that is to say, I'm not quite sure, I don't have enough information, is to be like a man who stands in a lap shop saying he's finding it a bit difficult to see. Now the problem is not in the lack of light. The problem is in the eye that doesn't see it. That's what Jesus points to. Um, because if the eye is shut, the light doesn't get in. You, can, you might as well switch the lights off and uh, live in complete darkness. Now you might say, in what sense are the people with Jesus in danger of doing this? In danger of shutting their eyes? But I think what uh, we'll see in terms of their blindfold is that the ones who've got their eyes shut are not the ones who just basically uh, can't see a thing, they're just made that way. The people with their eyes shut are the ones who actually think they see and therefore they don't need to go like the Queen of Sheba to knowledge, to wisdom that is outside because actually they think they're wise enough as they are. And they don't need to repent like the people in Nineveh because frankly, there's not too much wrong. So the blindfold is not that there is anything external stopping them from seeing. It's just that they don't recognize verse 35 is true and that is that what they think is the light in them is really darkness. They think they've got it. They think they know who Jesus is. Uh, but they're still in the dark because they value their knowledge and their opinion higher. So there's lots of light, but we don't see it if we think our light is sufficient to steer by. So where does that leave us today? But if you're someone who's new, it may be that you can come off the street into a service like this and you think, I'm glad I'm here because now I can start checking out Jesus to see if there's anything here that catches me eye. And I hope you realize that actually the bigger searchlight is actually directed not on him, but on you. Are you proud or humble? Will you go out saying, hey, uh, Jesus doesn't impress me? Or will you go out saying, hey, I don't really impress Jesus? And if that is the case, the humble reaction is to say, let me listen to Jesus like I've never listened to anybody before and let me ditch the things that I know in my life he won't like because I want to be like the queen of Sheba and I want to be like the men in Nineveh. It may be that you're a veteran church attender and you've been going to churches all your life and different ones. What's to take home here? But I hope you've understood the danger that it's possible for churchy folk to think that they're seeing that they've got the info, the data, the knowledge and to just cruise by that. Then often actually, 
There is darkness there that we will never ever understand unless we turn to Christ with humility rather than pride. Remember that when Jesus uses that word wicked, he's not talking to smelly unbelievers like the people in Nineveh. He's talking to people who are in Israel, very close to Jerusalem. People who would call themselves God's people, but who thought they knew. And they did realize that the light that they thought they had in them in verse 35 was actually darkness. Or what about thirdly, if you are a disciple and you want to make sure that you look after your eyes. What can this say to us? And I want to suggest that actually to keep seeing Jesus as he is means that we need to humbly recognize that the wisdom that we have in us is really insufficient. Far better to even consider it to be foolishness in order that we might be more able and tuned in to listen to the wisdom of Jesus. If you think you're a foolish person, you will want wisdom that you don't have. And if you understand yourself to be a sinful person, you'll be wanting to ditch the tiniest sin rather than, as most of us do, learn to live with it and to stay where we are. So we want to be humble and be like the Queen of Sheba, traveling anywhere to help Jesus make us wiser in our foolishness. And we want to be like the people of Nineveh, wanting to turn from those things that will be offensive to God in our lives, rather to pretend that they don't exist. If we do that, pretend that they don't exist, then the light in us will really be darkness. But if we turn to God for his wisdom in our foolishness, his purity in our sin, then if our whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. That's the way believers are called to be open-minded and to live with the full view of Jesus guiding our steps. I'm going to stop there and uh, ask if uh, anybody would like